Well, good morning, everybody. I kind of feel like we should turn the lights back out and everybody turn on your like flashlights on your phones and let's just do what we did last week. What do y'all think? Um, if you, yeah, that'd be, that's awesome. Um, if you weren't here last week, um, man, what a special day of worship. You know, I thought it was pretty cool that last week we were talking about no other gospel, gospel centrality, and, and then God did that for us. It was just like he stripped away everything other than like just our Bibles and his spirit with us and I bring our hearts to him. It was just so special. And uh, I was really thankful for the day of worship we had last week. But I'm really excited to be continuing this morning our series, Centered. And uh, if you're new this morning, I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here. And if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to get them open to the book of Galatians. Uh, We are studying the book of Galatians this fall, walking through the book verse by verse. And this morning, we're going to be continuing where we left off last week in Galatians chapter 1. And if you've got your guides, I encourage you to get them open to week 2, which is called Gospel Calling, Learning from Jesus. And that's the title of today's message. So if you've got those two things uh, together and something to write with, or maybe you're using your phone to take notes, that's fine too. But I want to pray for us. And um, we'll read the passage of Scripture and then begin to study it together. Oh, Father, we thank you for this day of worship. Lord, um, all that we have is because of all that you give. And we thank you that we know from your gospel that you love us. Lord, we are very aware of our brokenness, of our sin of our inability, of the rightful condemnation that we deserve, separation from you. But God, we are holding on to hope this morning, not because of who we are, but because of who you are, God. We are thankful that you are a God of love, mercy, and of grace. We are thankful that you have chosen in your grace to do everything for us from start to finish in giving your son. We are thankful for our Savior's life, death, and resurrection, for in him we have hope. Lord, we are clinging to you today. Lord, we are asking that you truly answer the prayer that we have just sung together. Oh, God, that you would be the center of it all, the center of our hearts, the center of our lives, the center of our church. Lord, that we would know that from beginning to end that it's all about you, Jesus. Lord, would you fix our eyes upon you this morning? Would you minister to us by your Holy Spirit that is very much and very powerfully working for all who trust you today? And your living word that is able to penetrate to the depth of our heart and to bring us deeper in relationship with you, God. We thank you that we are with you today. And we pray for your spirit and your word to minister to us in a way that brings you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 1. I read from the ESV and I will start in verse 11. Where we left off last week in verse 10. We'll continue today in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people. 
So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Last week, uh, we talked about, we began this journey uh, as Paul began the book of Galatians, writing to the churches of the region of Galatia, talking about the centrality of the gospel. And namely, we talked last week over and over and over about how the gospel is about God's grace. The good news of what it looks like to to have a right relationship with God, not only to be right with God initially, but how to grow in a relationship with God. The good news that we must cling to and keep a priority of our life is the gospel of God's grace. It is not about us, but it's about him. It's not about our righteousness, but about his. It's not about what we have done, but about what he can do. It's not about our performance, but Christ's performance of us. It's not about our worthiness, but his choice to love us. Aren't we thankful for the gospel? We're so thankful. And interestingly, in this passage, as Paul continues, basically what he does is he he pivots from talking about the doctrines of the gospel, and then he begins to share with us his own personal journey and his own personal experience of the gospel. That's what this passage really is all about that we just read. It's interesting because um, he does this in a couple of other places in the Bible. You, You can see in the book of Acts in chapter 22, Acts in chapter 26. It's not the only time in the Bible that we see Paul sharing his testimony. I don't know how long you've been in our church, but we often include testimonies, okay? For instance, back in the spring, we had a series where every single week of that series, in the series called Set Free, and if you weren't a part of the church then, you can always find those messages and the testimonies online. Anybody remember that series? And week after week, not only were we proclaiming the truths of God's word, but you were hearing from people that were saying, this truth is real, and let me tell you from my own experience how God has changed me and set me free. Y'all remember that? And how powerful that was. I mean, week after week, I don't think there were many dry eyes in the room, myself included. It's just powerful. We love to include testimonies in our church because it showcases the beauty of Jesus and the power of the gospel. And what Paul is doing in this passage is he's laid out in the verses 1 through 10 the doctrines of the gospel, but here he's 
helping us see how the, those gospel truths have changed him personally. And he's not doing that because he wants us just to be inspired by him or to point attention to himself. He's doing this to point our attention to Jesus. He's doing this, well, there's really two reasons. One is he's got to refute some claims that people are making about him that the gospel he's preaching is not the true gospel. And secondly, he's doing this because he really, really, really wants you and me to understand how radical and transformative and amazing the gospel of grace, God's grace, truly is. The main point this morning, if you've got something to write with, is this. And we're going to walk through this passage together because I want to expose you to the truths of God's word and not just have you take my word and believe it, but I want you to see God's word. The main point is this. The gospel of God's grace leads us to personal confidence, transformation, and influence for the glory of his name. The gospel of God's grace leads us to personal confidence, transformation, and influence for the glory of God's name. In the passage that we studied last week, we saw that there's, one only, there's only one gospel, and that gospel is the criteria to which all other human opinions about how to be right with God are to be tested by this gospel that Paul pro- proclaimed. So the question now is, what is the origin of this gospel that it should be the basis by which all other truth claims should be judged by? I mean, if we're rational thinking people, we should be asking that question. It's okay to ask that. How do I know that this is truly the only gospel? How can, I be, how can I be sure that what he's saying is right? I mean, where did this come from? And how can I be confident in that? Are you sure it wasn't made up? Are you sure he didn't get it secondhand? Are you sure he wasn't just forced to adopt it by another person? That is the motivation behind why Paul comes to us in these verses in the second half of chapter one to to teach us as he does. There's a couple of points I wanna make this morning about the gospel as we continue our focus on it. The first one is this. We're gonna walk through this passage together, literally, guys. All I'm doing is just studying the passage and trying to expose it to you, all right? The first point is this. The gospel can be absolutely trusted. The first point is this. The gospel can be absolutely trusted trusted. If you look at your Bibles and you go back to verse 11 and 12, that's where this point comes from. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is what? Not man's gospel. So under this first point, I want you to write down a phrase that the gospel can be absolutely trusted. Number one, If you go back to, well, you got two there, but let's start with this one. Number one, not a human invention. That it's not a human invention. That's the first point that Paul makes. He says in verse 11, I want you to know that the gospel preached to me is not man's gospel. In other words, what Paul is trying to say is, in case you wondered, And guys, it is totally okay to ask these questions. It's totally okay. 
There are some of you who are journeying toward relationship with Jesus, or you're asking questions about the faith, and I just want to encourage you. The Bible has answers for us. One of the common things that you could think is, well, maybe Paul just made this up in his own reflection or in his own reasoning and his own thinking. But what Paul says is, in verse 11, that this gospel is not of men. It, it's, it didn't come from human thinking. Number one, I mean, the gospel of God's grace is counterintuitive to human tendency. Would y'all agree with that? If man were going to create a gospel, it would probably look like a works-based righteousness because we are so prone to think that we talked about this some last week, but we're, we're so prone toward control and we're, we are often so hesitant to trust grace and we like achieving. I mean, this is not, it's, it's counterintuitive to what would be man's gospel, I think, if man were to make it up. This is the gospel of grace. But secondly, if you think about Paul, Paul was intensely hostile to the church. We'll talk about this more later, but I mean, Paul's a guy who wanted to destroy it. He, there's no way that this message was a product of Paul's own thinking, if you think about this. Because he was teaching the exact opposite of what the true gospel proclaims. He was opposed to Christ and opposed to people who preached the message of Christ. He was not in a gradual process of discovering this gospel. It had to be another way other than the human invention of man. That's what Paul's saying in verse 11. I want you to know that the gospel preached to me is not man's gospel. But secondly, some of you might have already written this down because it's been on the screen. But secondly, in verse 12... Paul wants us to see that it's not a religious tradition. It's not man's gospel. It wasn't invented by the reasoning or reflection or just thinking of man. And, and neither is it a religious tradition. In other words, it's not just something that was handed to me because my mama taught it to me or my church told me to believe it. And often those are, those are things that people journeying into relationship with Jesus have to work through. I mean, do, we, do you believe what you believe because your mom and dad believed it? Or because you grew up in a church that preached it? Why do you believe what you believe? If that were the basis of criteria for believing what we believe, then we could say to many religious groups around the world, well, you must be believing something sincere and true because your mama taught it to you and a religious organization handed it to you. See, Paul knows that people are attacking the gospel message and that people often have these questions about the gospel message. But in verse 12, Paul answers it. He says, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. I did not receive it from any man. In other words, it was not handed to me by another person. Nor was it a product of me being somewhere where another man was teaching it to me and saying, Paul, you've got to adopt this. That's what he says. If you go down to the end of the passage, he takes great length to show us. Go down to verse 16. I've got something circled here, but I just want to teach you why I come to the places that I believe, um, what I believe about what Paul's saying. 
when he talks about what happened to him after his salvation, he says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. He's going out of his way to tell you he did not go to another person to ask another person, is this right? Okay? If you go to verse 17, he says, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia. In other words, he's saying, it wasn't the product of me hanging out with the apostles that I got this. In fact, I was far away from the center of where this teaching was at the time. And he goes on in verse 18 and 19. He says, but I saw none of the apostles, even when he was in Jerusalem for 15 days, he saw none of the other apostles except for the Lord's brother. And he keep going. In verse 20, he says, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. What, what Paul is saying to us is, this was, do not think, okay, by his own testimony and by the own, his own history. Don't think that this was a product of, of man's tradition or somebody getting him in a room to say, you must believe this or that. In fact, he arrived at this gospel independently of the other apostles before finally meeting them and then concluding he does have the same gospel because it's the same gospel they were preaching is what he was preaching. In fact, in verse 23, he says that they were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he tried to destroy. In other words, as a confirmation that what Paul's preaching, the gospel message, is the same gospel the apostles are preaching. But listen to his language. They only heard it said. In other words, they didn't see it in person. They had heard about it. It wasn't the product of man passing it to man. It wasn't the product of human tradition. So what then was it? See, this is why Paul's saying you can have absolute trust in the gospel. You compare it to anything else. You can have absolute confidence that the gospel message of God's grace in Jesus is the actual message of God's salvation. Here's why. Because third, he says, it is a direct divine relation. It is a direct message that he himself received from God, that others had received from God, that confirms what the scripture says about God. Many, many, many people were receiving the same message from God. It is not a product of human invention. It is not a product of religious tradition. This is a divine relation, revelation from God. The gospel is not Paul's message, truly, friends. The gospel is God's message to us. He didn't make it up. He didn't simply pass it down. Jesus gave it to him. We're going to talk more about this in a second, but if you go back to Acts chapter 7, 8, and 9, maybe mark that so you can look at it later this week. Jesus gave Paul this message directly. Jesus met Paul and instructed Paul directly. Paul's message is derived from God's revelation, not human imagination. It's amazing. It's amazing. And part of what this means is, you know, when we look at the message of Paul, many people could criticize Paul or 
could say, I mean, I've, I've heard and read people who are like, well, Paul's message, the gospel doesn't seem in line with some of the things that Jesus talks about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or man, Paul's so harsh, or he just seems so dry, or whatever else, or we could think, well, his uh, message is no different than the opinion of any other person, or, or his message is just a product of the early Christian church. However, you're disagreeing with what, what Paul says and what the Bible says. Paul says he got his views from Jesus, not the church. Paul says that his gospel is not man's gospel, but truly God's gospel in such a way that if you reject the gospel that's presented here, you reject God. That's what Paul is saying. Not man's gospel, but God's. Tony Marita gave a quote that I like a lot. I'll put it here. He says, the gospel is like water. I believe it's on the next. Yeah. Gospel of grace is like water. People did not invent it, yet people cannot live without it. The gospel of God's grace is like water. People did not invent it, yet people cannot live without it. Where do you get your beliefs from? And why do you feel confident about them? This is what Paul is saying. We need to have absolute trust in what we believe. And with the gospel of God's grace, he's saying to us, we can. We can. And it's because this message didn't come from men. It didn't come from tradition. It came from God. There are many who will try to convince us that they're the right source, but Jesus tells us you know, there's only one source, and it's, and it's me. And it reminds us, you know, it challenged me this week as I was thinking about this. You know, Paul believed what he believed because he got what he got from God. Three years, it says, that he spent in Arabia. It's the only time in the Bible that we learn this about Paul, and I think it's really amazing. Because, you know, the other apostles had three years with Jesus. And what it says about Paul is that when he was saved and converted, he was quickly taken to Arabia, and he spent three years learning from Jesus directly. And I thought about my own life. You know, how often... Are we prone to listen to other people, what other people experience or think about God, versus just going to the word of God directly and hearing directly from him? We have an opportunity to learn directly from God. Paul said he didn't get what he got from man. He got it from God. And I'm so thankful we can have absolute confidence and trust in the gospel of God's grace. But I also think a practical application point for us is not only to hold on to confidence in the gospel, but also to take every opportunity to not just be a scribe passing on what others tell us, but to be like a prophet, one who desires to hear from God's word and to speak what God has spoken to you. Amen? Second point. Second point. Not only can the gospel be absolutely trusted, but secondly, the gospel can be personally experienced. The gospel can be personally experienced. I love that in this passage of scripture, um, 
Paul shares his personal journey. And I I told you at the beginning that Paul does not do this because he wants attention to go to himself. He does this because he wants your attention to go to Jesus. But let me tell you this. He's helping us see that the gospel is not just a set of doctrines to be believed, but the person of Christ to be experienced. Let me say that again. Paul is helping us see that the gospel is not just a set of doctrines to be believed, but rather the person of Christ to be experienced. So often, when we think gospel, we're thinking, I got to believe this, this, and this. Here are the four points of the gospel. Or here are the three points of salvation. Here are the five things. You know, we, we almost can be tempted to just make them word statements that we put up on the wall and we try to memorize and we go over and over again in this mental exercise. And oh yes, there are beautiful, wonderful, necessary truths to be believed about the gospel. But friends, that is not the end-all, be-all. The end-all, be-all is to lead us to a person whose name is Jesus and to lead us to a relationship, a personal experience and relationship with Jesus. And Paul knows that we can be tempted to think it's just all about the, the right doctrine, but what he's saying is, no, this is about leading you to the right person who is life. This is about leading you to an experience with Jesus. And I will say this. Someone wrote this who I read as I've been preparing in the last few months. And man, I thought, wow, that's powerful. Because it's so true. What they said is, if all we can do is share a set of doctrines, but not share a personal testimony, then we need to think twice if we are real Christians. If all we can do is share doctrines but not a personal testimony of experience with Jesus, then we need to think twice if we are real Christians. Because ultimately Christianity is not about a set of doctrines to be believed, but a person whose name is Jesus to be experienced. Amen. So having made a claim of direct revelation about that he got this direct revelation from God, now he's going to not just talk about how he got the revelation, but he's going to show you from his own autobiography. He's going to sit up here on a couch and, and share with you from his heart about what he experienced. And this section is all about God's grace and how God loves to save broken people. Friends, Paul wants you to know. Paul wants us to know how amazing God's grace truly is. He wants us to know, like first. Timothy 1.15, the radical change that Jesus can bring to a sinner's life. There's a couple of things I want to talk about with, with Paul's story here. And we're going to look together at verses uh, 13, 14, 15, and 16. But I, I want to kind of help you see his story. The first part of his story is really 
uh, before salvation, okay? Paul's personal testimony of grace. He starts by talking about how he was before salvation and his need for grace, his need for grace. And there's gonna be two parts to how he shows us his need for grace, but I want you to go to your Bible again, and he, he starts his testimony, and he says, for, for you've heard of my former life, so here it is, my former life. Now, this is why I'm calling it before salvation. Everybody okay with that? Circle my former life. Now, there's two pieces to his former life that he wants us to see. Draw an arrow from former life to the first piece. Here's the first piece right here. How I persecuted the church of God. Two marks of Saul's life before Christ. Number one, he persecuted believers. Here's your arrow. My former life involved this, number one, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. So if we're going to sum up Paul's former life, there's two pieces. Number one is that he persecuted believers. Paul had done many terrible things. We would, I mean, he had persecuted the church, guys. I don't think sometimes we understand. I mean, he was known by Saul then to a violent degree, a.k.a. we would call Paul a terrorist. And I know that is a politically charged word, and I don't mean it to be, but I think in the actual definition, we would define Paul, if we knew him, as a terrorist. He had persecuted the church and tried to destroy it. He had killed innocent people. He was on his way when he was on the road to Damascus. Let's just look at a couple of things. Hold on. Acts 8, chapter 1, I mean, chapter 8, verse 1. You can just write down the references. You don't have time to look it up, probably. He approved the martyrdom of the Christian hero, Stephen. Paul, this guy who's writing to you about the grace of God, before he was saved, standing by Stephen's death, saying, kill him. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says that he dragged Christians to prison. In Acts chapter 26, verse 10, it says that he casted his vote against Christians. What I was mentioning a second ago, on his way to the road to Damascus, he was, when, when he met Jesus, why was he even on the road to Damascus? It says in the scripture, look at it, verse, uh, chapter 7 through 9 of Acts, look at his testimony. He was on his way to persecute Christians. Paul was trying to destroy the church. He was totally convinced, too, that he was doing the right thing. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, he describes himself as a blasphemer, an arrogant man, a persecutor, and the worst of all sinners. Paul's not a good guy, and he hated Jesus and hated the people of Jesus before he was saved desperate in need of grace. Point two of his story before salvation, if you go back to the text, and look at verse 14, you can draw an arrow from his former way of life down to verse 14, and it says, not only was he persecuting the church of God, but it says, I was advancing in Judaism 
beyond many of my own age, among my own people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So, the second thing he tells us about his life before Jesus is this, that he was a religious zealot. Not only was he persecuting believers, but he was a religious zealot. In Acts chapter 5, verse 34, and in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, we read from Paul, I advanced in Judaism beyond my many contemporaries because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. In other words, he had beat most everybody in his own generation for being zealous for moral righteousness. He talks about in Philippians 3 how he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was following Old Testament traditions. He was an honor student of Gamaliel. He was a rising superstar. And you are saved by how good you can be. Be good for God. You're saved by your attempts and achievements toward living the life that he wants you to live. Yet none of it made him right with God. Paul says, you want to talk about religious and works by moral righteousness, by self-righteousness? I've been, hey, look at my t-shirt. I've, I've, I've been there. I've done that. I've gotten a t-shirt. I mean, he's a classic example of somebody who is sincere in misdirected beliefs before they became a Christian. Listen, sincerity does not save if you're sincerely believing in the wrong truth. Sincerity saves if you're believing in the right truth. But he's a classic example. I mean, he was all in for the wrong thing. And he wasn't experiencing relationship with God. He wasn't experiencing life. This is Saul before salvation. Desperate need of grace. Now, we look at a terrorist and a religious zealot like this, and we might think, he's beyond the hope of the gospel. When you think of terrorists in today's world, do you sometimes think they're beyond the hope of the gospel? I mean, we know the right answers, but in our actual feelings about it, do we sometimes go, what? Like, it would be, that would be crazy to think that somebody like that could, could be saved. I mean, in Paul's, what John Stott says, in his mental and emotional state, he was in no mood to change his mind or even have it changed for him by men. There was no condition reflex or any other psychological device that could convert a man in that state. But yet, friends, God did reach him. God can save the worst of all sinners. Paul is in the Bible today to be a shining testimony of what it looks like to know the free and unmerited grace of God. There is no clearer example than Paul. Tim Keller says this, Paul's experience proves that the gospel is not religion. The gospel calls us out of religion. And here's what else the gospel proves. That no one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel. But no one is so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. Paul was deeply flawed. I mean, he was deeply good, but he needed to be saved. But in another sense, I mean, he is so deeply flawed. 
No one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel. No one is so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. And this is the glory of the gospel of God's grace. Here it is. Y'all ready for it? So this is Paul's life before, but he goes on to say, so now we're not just talking about before salvation, but we're going to talk about his salvation, right? We're going to talk about how he came to know Jesus. Look at your Bibles. Oh man, I get so excited about this. Look at verse 15. But, everybody circle the word but. But, huge circle. This is a dramatic shift in the narrative between verses 13 and 14 and verses 15 and 16. And the shift goes like this. I mean, if you look back at verses 13 and 14, what you see is, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, how I was advancing in Judaism beyond my own age, among my people. So zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. It's all about Paul, 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 Paul. But. (laughs) But. Verse 15 and 16. When he, the shift goes from Paul to God. But when he, and he goes on and describes all the things that he who is God does. When he sets me apart for the gospel. When he called me. When he was pleased to reveal to me. The shift of Paul's narrative, the narrative of his life, is from a Paul-centered life to a God-centered life. From it all being about Paul, 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 suddenly it all becomes about God and his grace, 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 grace. This is the story of people who really know Jesus. A dramatic shift. It was John Stott, I believe, who said, all of Paul's raging fanaticism was no match for the good pleasure of God. But, verse 15, but, doesn't it set, does that remind you of any other passage of the scripture? Like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God. Or Titus chapter 3, verse 4, but God. It just reminds us, oh, friends, God is on a rescue mission. Isn't that good news? Your life is not hopeless because God can intervene in your life. The but God moment of all of our stories is our greatest hope and saving grace. It is not about us. It's about him. It's not about what we can do, but what he can do. But God, (laughs) I love it. All right, there's a couple of things I want to teach you about conversion that we see here in Paul's story, okay? We're going to talk about salvation knowing Jesus, but we need to understand conversion. And there's a couple of things that he teaches us about conversion. But when he... There's three things that he talks about. When he who had set me apart, that's number one. He set me apart before I was born. One of the things that Paul is amazed by is the reality that God set him apart. So under this conversation about his salvation, I want you to start making a list about understanding conversion. And the first part of that list is knowing that God sets us apart. If you can go to the slide there, yeah. Set apart God's planning. We we know this from the scripture, like Jacob, it talks about in Romans chapter 9, and like Jeremiah, he talks about this in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, how God had set him apart before he was born. John the Baptist, it also talks about this in John chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. 
Isaiah talks about this in chapter 49. The, the people of God, what you have is a picture of people going, you know what? This is so deep. This is so amazing. This is so marvelous. It has nothing to do with me. In fact, before I was born, God is sovereignly and graciously working to already choose me to be in relationship with him. What patience of God. What incredible patience of God. Number two, you see this calling. This calling, which is really understanding God's power. The second part of understanding conversion is not only do you have God setting us apart, but you also have this picture of God's calling, which is basically this experience of God's power. Look back at your text. It says, but when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me, that's where I'm getting this from. He called me. This is the second thing he's done. Called me by his, his grace. This is a powerful and effective call. Paul was fighting against God, but yet God's mercy found him and God called him to himself. You ever um, sense that God is like trying to deal with you? Y'all ever sense that in your life? Okay, I'm looking at your faces now. I'm actually trying to engage with you here. Do you ever have those moments where you're just like, God is trying to deal with me about something? Like most of our salvation stories, um, I think most of us can point back to a time where it's just like, I felt God leading me to surrender my life to him. I, I, I felt that God was like moving me to this place where I had to give up all of my control to him and trust him and what he has done for me. I, God was dealing with me. This helps us answer the question, how did I become a Christian? I became a Christian purely by grace. This is God's calling in my life. It's not my goodness. It is God's grace. And so we see here on the road to Damascus that God, God calls him. He, he intervenes in his life and he says, Paul, Paul, and you, you see this interaction with him there. He deals, he confronts with Paul and it's a powerful call. God is changing Paul from the inside out third thing we can understand about conversion from his testimony is this. Not only is he set apart from birth, not only is he called and experienced God's credible power, but third, he experiences this sweet revelation of God that is, a, is, is truly a revelation of Christ's beauty. If you look at verse 16, he says, but he who had set me apart for I was born, who called me by his grace, was third pleased to reveal his son to me. He was pleased to what? Reveal his son to to me. This is like a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, describes this moment for us. It's an amazing truth when God opens the eyes of unbelievers that they might see the beauty of the gospel of the grace of God. There is a moment in Paul's life. I mean, Paul knew Paul knew facts, many, many, many facts about Jesus, but he had never embraced their significance. Paul knew so many things, but the ideas of Jesus were repulsive to him. The people of Jesus were repulsive to him. But then, what, what changed? What changed is that God intervened in his life, and part of his calling is a revelation. And suddenly, God reveals to him what he has never seen before. I was listening yesterday with Caroline to Disney Hits Playlist in our house. And the song came on, then at first I saw the light. You know what I'm talking about? 
And (laughs) the song is about romantic love, and it's kind of a silly song, although I personally cry every time I hear it. But, (laughs) you know, all those days staring into darkness, you know, and but she describes, I'm not going to sing this song because I don't want to embarrass myself, but she describes this moment where something that she had seen dimly, now she was like, whoa, I get it now. I get it. And there are these moments. This is what it looks like to be saved, to have a divine revelation where suddenly he works so powerfully in our life that, that we get it. We get it. Most of us will not have a Damascus Road experience, but all of us must have a moment where the Holy Spirit awakens us to the reality of the beauty of Jesus. If you've never experienced this moment, you need to pray for this moment. We all must have a moment where the Holy Spirit of God, you cannot do this for yourself. But you know how sometimes... You might hear other people and they're like, what do they mean, taste and see that the Lord is good? Like, Jesus is my all-surpassing treasure. He's my all-satisfying joy. I want nothing more than to be in the presence of Jesus. If that's not true of your heart, like if you hear other people talking about that, and you're like, I don't really get that, man. Like, that's weird. Oh, friends, this is the essence of salvation. This moment of conversion where God does switch the light switch on in our heart to see that Jesus really is the most beautiful of beautiful. He is the greatest treasure. He is the all-surpassing joy. I want Jesus. That's the testimony of all who truly know him. Amen? And that's what Paul is saying. God revealed. He was pleased to reveal his son to me. Oh, we should pray for more and more revelation of who Jesus is. No human explanation or influence can account for the complete turnaround that Paul had in his life. It only, it could only be Jesus. Tony Marita, who was my sister's pastor a few years ago over in North Carolina, says this. He says, you know, this passage is all about God's transforming grace. Paul loves broken wretched, bad people. Nobody is beyond the reach of Paul's, I mean, excuse me, of God's amazing grace. The gospel is not good advice from man. It's good news from God, and we must rejoice in it. In the gospel, you will find what your heart has always longed for. There is no other love this great. There is no other hope this secure. There is no other forgiveness this complete. No other joy this deep. No other freedom this liberating. No other peace this sweet. And no other purpose this exhilarating. All of it is found in the grace of the gospel of Jesus. I'm so thankful. Third and finally. This passage teaches us not only that we can have absolute trust in the gospel, not only that we should have a personal experience with the gospel, but third, that we should understand that the gospel leads us to true purpose. The gospel leads us to true purpose. What is God doing? God is not only saving Paul, but God is leading Paul to be on fire for the glory of God's name. There's a couple of things that that Paul shows us here with this testimony. As we begin to understand how he discovered purpose, the first thing that we'll see is this. We are called to display the grace of Jesus. We are called to display the grace of Jesus. In verse 16, he says, God was pleased to reveal his son to me, but there's a purpose to it. 
draw an arrow to me in order that he might preach him among the Gentiles. Okay? First phrase I want to focus on, which is that first one that I, the first point that I gave you, we're called to display the grace of Jesus. This phrase, to, to me. It's the same phrase that's used in 2.20, and in 2.20 it's translated in me. But it's the idea of the indwelling presence of Jesus in my life. God was pleased to reveal Jesus to me in a way that he now lives in me. This is no longer about me. This is a new identity. I'm a new creation. I'm living by a new power. I'm defined by a new presence that's in my life. Christ lives in me. So what Paul says is my life, like Corinthians describes somewhere else, is a living fragrance. When people encounter me, they're no longer encountering me. They're encountering Jesus. The fragrance of my life is not about me. It's about him. We're called to display the grace of Jesus. And then secondly, we are called to share the gospel with the lost. That's why I had you draw the arrow. He revealed his son to me. He's now in me. The aroma of Christ through me. There's a purpose. In order that what? Paul says, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In other words, I know that I've been set apart to take the gospel message of Jesus to people who haven't heard it. I know that this is my purpose. He talks about later in the passage, down in verse 16, 17, 18, and on, we learn some things about what Paul did. Paul went to many different areas. It talks about how he went to Arabia and how he went to Damascus. In verse 18 and 19, he goes on and describes other places that he went. After he went to Jerusalem for a little bit of time, go on to verse 20, it describes that he went to Syria and he went to Cilicia. Why is Paul going all these places? He's going back to his hometown. He's going back to places where people knew him before he knew the truth of God. You know what he's doing at great risk of his own life? He's saying, guys, I was wrong. It's not about trying to be good enough to be accepted by God. It's not about what I can do in terms of attaining a record of righteousness with the law. It's not about me at all. I got it wrong. I was opposing the people that were getting it right. Oh, guys, this, this thing of Jesus is right. He, he is truly the Savior. There's, there's only one way, and it's through him. It's not about us, but about God and his love and grace. I mean, he's going to proclaim the message of Jesus with people all over his hometown region and other regions of the area because he knew that God had purposed him for this. And the third part of his journey of understanding purpose, and this is really the last point of today, is this, that he knew that he was called to bring glory to God. Not only was he a Emitting the aroma of Christ because Christ was in him? Was he living with a purpose so that lost people would really come to faith in Christ like he had? But third, he knew that he was called to bring glory to God. And we see this in verse 24. And it says, and they glorified God because of me. They glorified God because of me. Paul mentions this because he knows that at the end of the day, this is what his life is for. His life is to be lived with great purpose for the glory of his name.
And I want to tell you, friends, your life is purpose too. We, the gospel leads us to true purpose. We are to have influence for the name of God. Some of us don't share our testimonies a lot. Every time we take mission trips, we require that people share their testimony. And many times I find that among mature Christians, it's the first time they've really worked through having to verbally testify to what God has done in their own life. And there's a lot of reticence and a lot of anxiety about that sometimes, and it takes a lot to work through it. It's one of the most joyful things that you can work through, though. Sometimes I think we excuse not sharing our testimony because we, we think, well, we don't want to make it about myself. But Paul, Paul didn't want to make it about himself either. <laughs> Paul wanted to make it about Jesus, but what Paul knew is that he had to share his story for people to really get who Jesus was. Because again, the gospel is not just a set of facts to be believed, but it's a person of Christ to be experienced. And people need to hear how Paul had been changed by a living relationship with the living Savior. And the only way to do that is to open up and share his testimony. We have to open up and be vulnerable to speak about what the gospel means to us because the Christianity, as Keller says, is, is an appeal not just to the mind, but to the heart and to the whole life. And if you can't testify to what God has done, not only in your mind, but in your heart and in your whole life, then people aren't gonna really get what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not about a set of facts to be believed, but a person of Jesus to be experienced. Amen. I'm closing this morning with our main point again. The gospel of God's grace leads us to personal confidence, transformation, and influence for the glory of his name. I just want to ask, you know, as we close this morning, do you sense these three things are true of your life? Do you have confidence in the gospel? God wants you to. The gospel message is not, you know, just another message, another choice to be made. And it's not just something that humans have invented or churches have been traditioned in. No, the gospel is the true message of God. It's not man's invention. It's God's revelation. Do you have confidence in that? And I just want to ask you, where are you learning? Are you learning primarily from books about God or are you learning from the Bible, which is God's book to you? I want to make sure that we are leaning in to learn from God about what he really says. Second, I want to ask, have you ever experienced gospel transformation? When I said that earlier about you know, we got to ask ourselves if we're really Christians, if all we know is the doctrines, but we can't share our testimony. If I asked you today, if we went to Starbucks after church and I just said, will you just share your testimony of God's grace in your life? Can you share with me who you were before and who you are now and what God is presently doing, how God has saved you? Could you, what would you share? Could you share? Listen, today, if that's you, I just want you to be invited to experience Jesus. Because the gospel message is all about getting us to this point where we come to a place and just say, God, I am so broken. It's not just something I put on the wall, all are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. No, God, for me, I am so broken and desperate for you. Yeah, maybe you haven't been 
a persecutor of the church. Maybe you haven't been a religious zealot, but I'm telling you, you're bad. You need grace. And the gospel is meant to get us to this point where we personalize and we go to God with our broken hearts and we desperately say, oh God, the only hope that I have is you. True transformation happens when we meet Jesus. He loves you. Be transformed. Share your testimony. Third, influence. Some of you have confidence and you have a transformation story, but maybe you're just, you know, does the aroma of Christ like breathe out from your life? Are you engaging? I mean, I'm not talking about some like religious program where we show up and do some silly evangelism thing. I'm not talking about that at all. I don't like that stuff. I don't want you to do that. I'm not talking about track bombing your neighbors. I'm talking about, are you engaging people who are lost and broken in conversations? Are you starting relationships toward a purpose of helping them to know the incredible love and grace of Jesus, the only saving way to relationship with God? Are you passionate to live for the glory of his name? This is our prayer this morning. Oh God, would you... Would you give me confidence? Oh God, would you transform my heart and life? And oh God, would you help me to live for influence? Let's pray that together today. I'm here at the front with prayer counselors in the back. You come and pray with us about anything going on, nothing too small, nothing too big to come and pray with us this morning. But right now, make this your prayer. Oh God, would you lead me to gospel confidence, gospel transformation, and gospel influence for the glory of your name. of sin. God, help us not to be so prideful that we keep ourselves from you, so controlling that we keep you at a distance, Lord. Help us to be open right now in this moment to your Holy Spirit's work. Oh God, would we receive confidence from you, knowing this is from you. Oh God, would you transform us? Would we have a testimony, not just a set of facts about you, but a testimony of experience with you. And oh God, would you help us to live with influence for the glory of your name? Would we not be ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God and the salvation for all who believe? Would we open up and share the dirty, broken places of our life so that people can see the beauty of your love, grace, redemption, and healing? Oh God, would we be living testimonies for you? Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, be the center of our church. We pray this in 